All right, let's do this. Peanut, if you're staying in the room, no talking. Welcome to the Photo Work Podcast, the talky and touchy-feely version of my book, Photo Work, 40 Photographers on Process and Practice. I'm Sasha Wolf, joined as usual by my friend and producer, the most beloved producer <laughs> in, the, in podcast land, per capita. Is that a capita of one? The, don't... <laughs> Don't downplay the love people feel for you. <laughs> Mr. Michael Chauvin Dalton. Hello, Michael. Hello. Today, uh, Lumberjack uh, Michael Chauvin Dalton. <laughs> yeah, actually... you were just cutting down a tree. It's I very was taking down a tree. Macho. <laughs> it is, it's very satisfying, I have to say. It, and for those of you who are uh, environmentalists, this was a, uh, a wild cherry that was uh, causing problems. Didn't want it to fall in the house. Uh, it was uh, right on the neighbor's yard and, uh, you know, uh, um, coming up for dispute. Oh, so, no. God, you don't want to get you don't want to get into a Rand Paul. No, that's right. <laughs> I literally had to nip it in the bud. Yes. <laughs> oh, boy. But yes, very satisfying. All right. Congratulations. <laughs> you survived. God, that would have been a horrible announcement for that. To <laughs> That's <me>. right. <laughs> he tried to take down a cherry tree a la George Washington. <laughs> he should have just stayed behind the console. That's right. <laughs> the mixing board. But uh, enough about uh, wild cherry trees. Uh, you will be going away soon to something that sounds pretty exciting. Yes, I am leaving, um, going to Iceland, oh, as um, wow. many of our listeners know. It's my favorite place to go on vacation. And it's actually, had pilgrimage. Two, my yes. pilgrimage. I've had two trips planned and canceled thanks to the mm. scourge of the pandemic. But hopefully, God, <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> hey, jinx we're it. We're almost there. We're almost there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hopefully, I will be leaving in a couple of days. And actually, it's become an interesting trip because I'm combining work and vacation. So there's, um, I'm going to give a lecture at the National Museum of Iceland, actually, for um, the Icelandic Photo Festival. Uh, everything about that sounds wonderful. Every time we say Iceland and Icelandic, I yeah. just think uh, beautiful vistas and uh, fresh air and everything yep, else. Yep. Yes. No, it is <laughs> incredibly beautiful. So I'll sort of front end my trip with work of a couple days of, of lecturing and um, sitting in on uh, a university class and doing some portfolio reviews mm. and just some meetings with, with folks over there. And I'm a little nervous about my lecture. I've never given a lecture at a national museum, but we'll get through it. Um, we need a good Icelandic yogurt sponsor to fly us all over there. <laughs> there is some excellent Icelandic yogurt. I know. So let is me see what I can do. I'll work on it. Or skur or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll work on that. Um, anyway. Well, that sounds great. Yeah. yeah. And then I'll be with Peter Kaafis, my good friend, and he and I will then go drive all the way north, a little bit east, uh, to our area that we like to hang out in and go hiking for six or seven days. So a good oh, yeah. trip. Yeah. Um, really well, excited. I'll have a, a great time. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So we had a great 
episode today. It's a conversation with the photographer uh, who I also represent, Barbara Bosworth. And I know you enjoyed mm-hmm. getting to know Barbara a little bit. Yes. Yes. When I was setting up the show, uh, I was speaking not only with Barbara Bosworth, but also with Barbara's assistant, Emily Sheffer. And we just had a lot of fun. It's It was... Um, you know, doing the technical stuff, which can be sometimes stressful, sometimes a little dry, a little uh, dull. But we actually had... Uh, They're some... so fun. Oh, they are. They're so fun. We we talked. We were talking about food and everything else. And yeah. Barbara in particular is such a warm person. And of course, yeah, that comes through this show. And yeah. I know you and Barbara get into a little bit of process talk as well. Yeah, it's a really good show. I think, you know, Barbara is you know, been in the, been making pictures for a long time. And so to hear her journey through picture making, through teaching, she was on faculty at Mass Art for almost 40 years. And in fact, as I say in the show, some of her students are some of my other artists and a lot of connection there. But yeah, I mean, Barbara talks a lot about, you know, making work over decades that then you know, eventually becomes sort of a clear body of work, once again, sort of underlining something that you and I, that comes up in the show a lot about sort of patience and letting work mm. develop in its own time. And that's certainly a theme of the show. But, you know, yeah. Barbara shoots 8 by 10 film. And so she has a very, as 810 people do, has a very particular process and slow and deliberative mm-hmm. way of working. So it's really fun to hear her talk about that. Yes, absolutely. So I, I, I really I love the episode because, as we said, Barbara is such a warm person and that really comes through. And mm-hmm. um, I even learned some things. And <laughs> so I really love talking with her. So anyway, um, why don't we get to it then? Yes, you have um, some packing to do. <laughs> I do have some packing. <laughs> of course, the truth is that before I get to that packing, we have a, uh, a photo work all hands on deck team meeting in a couple hours. (laughs) (laughs) Even though it's Sunday, no rest for the photo work team um, (laughs) planning our, uh, the shows that are coming up when I get back. Anyway, all right, little inside baseball stuff there. (laughs) Um, Without further ado, Michael, if you don't mind, please take it away. My pleasure. And here is your conversation with Barbara Bosworth. Barbara Bosworth, welcome to the Photo Work Podcast. You're one of my reluctant guests. Um, (laughs) I was going to say reluctant artists, but I would have meant by that one of my artists that I represent who is reluctant to be on the podcast. But then I realized that it sounds like you're a reluctant artist, but you're not a reluctant artist here. So (laughs) that would have been so misleading. Sasha, Um, the reluctance doesn't come from you. It comes from just the nerves being unrecorded. Yeah, okay. I know, I know. Even I feel that way. So I'm quite Um, honored to be on this. And I do this every week. Yes. Well, so before we, I start probing, which that sounds weird and like a medical procedure, but... um, (laughs) Can you, uh, let's do what we always do, which is bio. So if you can tell folks your journey, that would be great. Yeah. So I think I'll just start in like uh, the photo journey. So, well, I grew up in the forest of Ohio. I think that is significant. 
of the the place and the landscape where I grew up. These very yeah. dense, verdant, rich, lush forests of Northeast Ohio and um, places I learned to play and it was my place. So I think that's significant. I didn't study photography in college, but I did find it soon after. I had to make a living, though, out of college, and I love books, so I found my way to a research library at Cornell University and had a position, multiple positions, but then ended up in the Rare Books Room, which was really influential and a big part of uh, getting me to photography, I think. So then back up to those forests in Ohio... Um, my father was very instrumental in getting me into photography. I think it's a common story, but uh, he always had a camera mm-hmm. with him documenting the family vacations and the mountains that he loved and the ocean that he loved. And so I would always get sort of the, the hand-me-down cameras <laughs> until at some point, I think it was about nine, I had to take my own hard-earned allowance money and I bought my very first camera. So it seems like I was really interested in the idea of photography, or at least making images back then. But it was never something you did as a, as a way to make a living, right? At least, mm-hmm. I mean, in my family. My father was a small businessman. And he was very progressive in that he didn't want his daughter to necessarily just be dependent on someone else. So he wanted me to make a living. And how do you do that with photography? So those were questions that I was thinking about at the time. I would have been really happy to have studied geology and become a geologist. But anyway, I didn't. So fast forward, I graduate from college and I land in um, the rare books room at Cornell University. And there I'm seeing amazing books and become quite inspired. And and the idea of books takes hold. I learned letterpress printing and I thought maybe I was going to be a letterpress printer for a long time. So anyway, at some point, though, I I knew that I needed to figure out my library job was not a professional position there. And I knew at some point I needed to be I needed to be more than that level of library work for the rest of my life. So it was either going to be photography, which I was discovering there at Cornell, and it had to either be photography, a serious pursuit of that, or uh, get a library degree. And photography won. So, but books and that love of libraries never left me. So then I decided I needed to learn more about photography because I'd never had a photo class. Because I had an undergraduate degree, I said, well, maybe I better get a graduate degree. So that led me down that path of grad school. So so that's the the formal um, path of studying photography. But then about pictures always came back to that, the forest that I grew up in and thinking about, my father just loved staring at the landscape. He would be content for hours just looking at things. And I know that that's then why I became an 8x10 photographer for that long look. And I don't know, it pervaded him in everything. Uh, The way he would just watch light move across either the mountains of Colorado where he would go in the summer once the kids were off out of the house. And um, to just watching the way the light would skim across Lake Erie, his beloved Lake Erie, where he grew up. Where, where, where did you go to? Where did you go to graduate school? So I did my graduate work at RIT in Rochester, and mm-hmm. I cho- well because I had been living in Ithaca, and I Rochester just up the street basically. Mm-hmm. And I also knew because I had never had a photo class, and, and I was deeply <laughs> obsessed with this process, photography. So I knew at RIT they had like fifty faculty just in their photography 
school that, wow, somebody there knows what I want to know about photography. (laughs) So that's kind of how I chose that school. And it was really good for me because there's so many, I could take everything. And also had a printing school there. So I could also take, you know, my font class, Mm -hmm. uh, typography classes, sorry. So that's why I did my graduate work, Rochester. So I guess I never thought about photography as a, you know, I kind of just wanted to make pictures. It wasn't about get the gallery or get an exhibition. I just really like making pictures. But I guess it was an advisor at the time who encouraged me to apply for a job that came open. It was at Ohio University, and it, but you reco- it needed you to have three years of teaching experience, which I didn't have. I was just out of grad school, but I applied for it anyway. And then lo and behold, it was offered to me. It wasn't tenure. It was just a part, um, like a three-year job. But mm-hmm. So then I guess I said, oh, well, maybe, you know, yes, I guess I can do this. I had never thought of myself as a, a teacher, really, until then. And then I realized how much I really liked being with these students and how much inspiration they gave me. And so then anyway, since that wasn't a permanent job, I continued to stay in academia and kept and looked for a, a full-time job. And that's when the mass art position became open. And then I moved there and stayed there for the rest of my, at least the academic career. But it allowed me to continue making pictures and I could share my passion with all my students. And it was, they were really terrific students that I had um, in that program. They were very serious about photography. And and it was just a really fabulous teaching at an art school because they cared about photography. Whereas when I've taught at schools, photography is sort of like the, I don't know, the invisible child of the art department. And then the art department's the invisible child of the architecture department or something, right? So, but, in a, but at Mass Art, it's supported. It's like mm-hmm. supported as much as any other department there was. So I enjoyed actually working in an art school, teaching an art school. And it was a state-supported art school. So we had students that may have been their first, first generation going to college. And they were just really amazing and hardworking and smart students. And uh, I just really felt lucky to be able to teach there. And you were there for, you just retired, so you were there for... Like 36 years. Yeah, which is amazing. I mean, Mass Art has had really stellar faculty, known for great teachers, and also had a lot of very well-known students come out of the program. Um, And I always like to joke about the family part of Sasha Wolf Projects because I represent you and I represent Adam Katzif, who was your student and is a good friend of yours to this day. And Caleb Charland, who went to Mass Art and took classes with you. Yeah. And there's something very nice and connected about all of that. And of course, you know, I think there's Barbara Bosworth and Adam Katzif's work, which I really love. I mean, there's something about seeing that connection up close and personal that I find very satisfying. Yeah, well, thank you, Sasha. Well, we're shouting out Mass Art. Really wonderful part about teaching there were my colleagues in the photography department also, we really love photography and we're serious work, working, making. Mm-hmm, and right, so yep. it was just so wonderful to have all the conversations with them about the image and photography. And I learned so much from them. Yeah. Who were some of those people who you... So, well, the core, when I got there, um, Nick Nixon was there and Abe Morrell, who had just right. been hired there also the year before me. And then I was hired in. And then Two years after, oh, and then the next year we hired in Steve Trelentis, who's also an amazing photographer. And then the year after that was Laura McPhee. So there was this mm-hmm. year, there was like, what, so what would that be like? Four year period where we built yeah, this, great there people. became this solid core of people that then stayed yeah. on for 
the next 30 plus years. Yeah. We've also now hired in, as that group has retired, we've hired in new people that are really amazing as well. So I think it's going to continue to be really a good place to study photography. So first of all, I'm sure it was hard to retire, but yeah. you stay connected. So yeah, um, yeah, it's like a yeah. extended family. Exactly. So one one thing I um I said the other day on another podcast, I think I was I don't even remember if this made it to the edit, but I was talking about you being an upcoming guest, and I referred to you as a landscape photographer, and then I was like, wait, can I refer to Barbara as a landscape photographer? <laughs> Do you think of yourself as a landscape photographer? Oh, yes, that is complicated, isn't it? I, I guess I don't, but I do make pictures outdoors. That is what I do, and it, it is, it's, it's humans and nature's interaction. So mm-hmm. a lot of it, yes, is landscape, but I don't... Yeah, there's uh, something reductive about just saying, I mean, I knew the minute it came out of my mouth, I was like, that's just not enough. Yeah, because there's also a lot of it's with, well, okay, I teach a landscape, or used to teach a landscape photography class. And in that, we talked a lot the first day about how to define the landscape, right? What is a landscape? Mm -hmm. And I threw a wide net with all of them about, I gave them a wide path to follow on what landscape was. It could be their city blocks they lived on. It could be Mm -hmm. their backyard. It could be whatever they, I mean, not whatever. I obviously, I did have some parameters that I wouldn't accept maybe just young students want to just make self-portraits so I had it had to have some bearing in the outdoors and in landscape but it was a wide a wide wide definition in my mind so maybe I think of it that same way for myself and you know what I don't really I think the label is fine so yeah um, but I also photograph people too I have a nice series of pictures of portraits of people they happen to be people outdoors but, right. you know, but so how does one define that term of landscape? Yeah. And at one point, yeah. obviously, we can go back to the, like the Dutch origins of that word. And it's a it's the view and it's the like a theater even. So, you know, maybe if we go back to that, then it's sort of begs to be like a view. And I don't think of myself as necessarily a vista photographer, although I do have mm-hmm. groups of my pictures that are about a vista, the grand view. But I also don't think of myself too much as the grand view. They're more intimate. They're, you know, I wander the stream bed that I grew up on, the the creek at the house that I grew up in. I just wander in there. And that's not a grand vista. You know, it's a sycamore tree or something and some ripples. Yes, But you're drawn to both. I mean, a lot of your work is the grand vista. So there's, it's sort of that very wide and then coming back smaller and opening back up and coming back smaller. Yeah. I also just love the detail right around me. It could just be like Mm -hmm. a sprig of foxglove glowing along the trail. Right. um, Yeah. I'm thinking of a child that is showing me a worm in his hand. So I, okay, let's make that. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. is that landscape? I don't know. It's a worm in that child's hand. So it's all, it's all that becomes part of my thinking about looking at the ways we are in nature. So how do you shoot? What's your process? I mean, just from the most nitty gritty, like how often do you shoot? What camera are you using? What does the camera mean to you? What What's your, what is your process? Yeah, oh, yes, my process is fairly, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Fairly... Um, Elaborate? Uh, no, no, no. That's very cumbersome. Well, yeah, there's that too. Uh, I was just going to say fairly exclusively. There's the word exclusively. Use an eight by ten camera. Um, yep. There's a little bit of exceptions to that, which I can talk about also. But that's an eight by ten camera. 
so yes, it's a, it's a slow process. And I think that connects into my father and the way he could just stare at something for a long time, watching it. So I, I like that long look. And mm-hmm. I'm, I've never been speedy. I'm just not fast at much. Like a lot of things don't work fast on me. So I like that long mm-hmm. look, that slow sort of watching the world unfold in front of me. Don't give me that. There's times though I have to move quick and I can, I can, you know, move with that camera pretty fast when I want to. But my default is kind of just a slow, long look with this. So it's 8x10 camera. So yeah, it's carrying all that stuff around out there. I've got it portable though, so it it can sort of just go on my back. I have a Mm -hmm. pack big enough to put the camera and five film holders. So that's 10 sheets of film that can go on my back and then I just carry the tripod. So I can hike a good distance with that. So that's that's the preferred, pretty exclusive uh, way I work as frequently as possible. I mean, it was very, you know, I took my job teaching seriously. So that would come first, but the beautiful thing about academia is there is a lot of time off campus. So yep. that allowed me to have a, a schedule of photographing fairly regularly. And I would yep. would do that. And probably trips that I would take would always be built around what what pictures do I want to make. And you've done a certain amount of, or a, a lot of work right around where you live. You live about 40 minutes outside of Boston? Yes, that's right. Yeah, the commute's probably about that. With traffic, yeah, an hour. <laughs> but anyway, so you were in a pretty rural area, and you've done a mm-hmm. tremendous amount of work right around your home. So that's also quite convenient. I mean, you don't need a vacation to go off and shoot the meadow near your that's correct. Home. Yeah, that's correct. It sort of evolved to be that in the earlier days for me. You know, I would be traveling places to make the pictures, but it soon began to to me to think, no, that that's not right. I don't know those places like I know my place. So I began to sort of think about just being right here and what am I missing right here? And that's when, to so the meadow work, yeah, it was a meadow that's just outside Boston as well. And um, there's a lot of the heavens work. You need dark skies for some of that work. And so that's not so Boston. So that would be traveling. And the tree pictures, you know, that for me is a cross section of the American landscape. So you know, we're, I would be traveling far and wide to photograph those trees. Mm-hmm. But again, only when I was going to be in that area for something else anyway, because that was all self-funded. So if I would go, if I had a friend in California, I would go visit. And then I'd say, oh, let's find out what champion trees are in the area. But so, yes, but, but a lot of my work is I try to sort of make it be about, you know, where I am. And also a lot of, a lot of the work was where I grew up, when my parents still own that house, so I made a lot of pictures back there, digging deep into that landscape. How are you determining whether to shoot in black and white or color? Because oh, you really yeah. shoot, I don't know about equally, but you know, you're very dedicated to both black and white and color. Yeah, yes, you're right. I did mean to address that. So sometimes it's not so clear to me. The beautiful thing about view cameras, I have, I'm always carrying around some black and white film and some color. So if it's not really clear, then I've done one of each. But um, mm-hmm. mostly it's really clear to me, I know. Like the meadow work had to be color because it was about the gloriousness of that color. And it was because mm-hmm. the meadow followed um, along this sort of a, a sadder period of grief for me that had been a lot of, had been black and white and some dark black and white. So the meadow came to me just after that, and I needed this really bright and beautiful place. So that had to be color. And it was also, I was trying to grapple with Kodak green, which I never really liked. And I had to sort of come to terms with that. 
So I just went all into the meadow with color. Um, but when I do the, the tree pictures are all black and white for me, the national champion trees, because it references history in a way that color doesn't. And, mm-hmm. and these trees, uh, they just have, they feel historical to me or something. So I like that black and white for those pictures. Then the work that, I don't know, I did that period of pictures where I spent a lot of time with hunters. And mm-hmm. that specifically needed to be black and white also because it wasn't to be about the gore. And if it was in color, then I think all, right, all someone would see would be the red blood. Right. And it, yep. I wanted to, those pictures to be about something else, something about this, the life and death, the connection to earth, ephemerality of life, and et cetera. So those had to be black and white. The heavens work that I did is, is kind of a mix of both. Um, there's black and white and color, and it was not sure what would be going on in my brain at the time to make me decide to pull mm-hmm. one out of the other. At some point in my early days, I didn't have a lot of money, and so black and white was cheaper. That's the reality of it. So mm-hmm. I, in the early days, I think I was leaning more to black and white, and then I began to feel like I had more money to spend, so I would buy it on color. And you know, and then another point, it flips again, where color film is so expensive per sheet. And it's harder to find your get your film process now, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard and harder to find someone to do that. Let me, let me ask you. You said something earlier about coming out of a grief period. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, well, at maybe all, a or? little bit. I tend not to focus on it, but I did mention it. There just was a loss of someone in my life, and it thoroughly pulled the rug out from under me. And and that's when I realized that things that happened in my life. My work becomes about that. I can't help it. Mm-hmm. It's not conscious at the time. I didn't think, oh, I'm going to go out and make all these dark pictures about death. <laughs> so, but as I look back at that work, you know, after, I don't know, six months or so, and I'm looking at, I'm home and I'm looking at that work, it's, um, it's just in there, this sort of sense of a loss and longing. And did that become one star in a dark voyage? And that became one star in a dark voyage, yes. Which yes. is a beautiful body of work in the book just came out. Yeah, and, and it's a, it was a hard body of work. It was about life and death, and there were dead animals in it. And, um, and it was about this sort of, well, narratively, it came about this sort of journey, seeking home, trying to get through that loss and, you know, the other side of that. And these pictures, it was there in the pictures. I hadn't even consciously mm-hmm. said, I'm going to make it to be about X. It just sort of happened. So, yeah, so, so that work's just coming out, even though I made those pictures back in the mid-1990s to late-1990s. Well, it's a beautiful book that TIS just published. Yeah, thank you, so. Sasha. Yeah. Yeah, I'm quite pleased it's finally out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's wonderful. Everyone should buy it. Do you think of, I mean, we're talking about work right now that one star in a dark voyage that is very personal, is some work more personal to you than others, or do you think of all all of your work as equally personal? Yeah, I actually think I would have to say most of my yeah most of my work is very personal. Maybe the one star work is the most over the head with it, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Whereas maybe it's not as obvious in the meadow, but the meadow is a place that I spent twenty years going back and forth photographing. And became quite a place that I was quite attached to. So it's personal in that way. I guess in a way, I can say everything I make, everything I spend time to make a picture of is something that I am interested in and care about. The heavens, 
maybe had its roots in thinking about Galileo's rare books, but it also becomes um, just about the night walks with my father. So my dad would love to, you know, in the summer nights, he would go out for a, a walk. And often I would join him and he would just go out to look at the stars at night. So, so he instilled that interest of the night sky and astronomy on some level. He instilled that in me when I was younger. And that sort of holds. So maybe even all those pictures are personal in a way and sort of think about my dad. But today, how can we make these pictures of the night sky without thinking about light pollution? So it becomes about other things too. I mean, mm -hmm. people, I wanted to make a picture that looked like the Milky Way, right? That's not, I wanted the dots and not the streaks. And so I went down this rabbit hole, technical rabbit hole of trying to figure out how to make a long exposure of the stars um, without streaks so that I could make like an hour exposure of the Milky Way and have it be dots. Because I wanted to show what it looks like, my memory of those really dark nights with intense amount of stars. Mm -hmm. So I guess even, even, yeah, even a picture that might be so heavily a technical challenge for me to figure out is also very personal as a way to talk about those beautiful night skies that people don't really see anymore. As soon as I moved to the city, I hardly saw the Milky Way anymore. When I was out of the city, I did. But so, yeah, I guess everything's pretty personal. And then I don't know if we, I'm moving into the territory, new, newer work territory of a book I did called Behold. And that, is that okay, Sasha, if I move into there now? Yeah, of course. Yeah, okay, okay. So, I did this book called, well, you know, actually, I'll even back up and talk about the pictures of the birds that I do. Because on one level, it's my interest in birds that led me to make these pictures with these bird banders while they're holding the bird before they release it. But at the mm -hmm. same time I was making those pictures, it was when my mother was failing with Parkinson's and, you know, dementia had its hold. But she would keep reaching for something. And I, one time I asked her, Mom, what are you reaching for? And she would just say, oh, the birds. So I was mm -hmm. making these pictures of these banders holding these birds, you know, doing um, their, they, you know, they take data on the birds before they release it. That way they can track and know what's happening to the population. Anyway, when they release the bird, you know, their palms are sort of turned towards heaven and follow the bird as the bird gets released. And that's the same gesture my mom was making when I asked her, what are you reaching for? So even then the bird pictures take on this very personal sort of level to me, this mm -hmm. losing this, my mom fading into dementia and seeing these birds flying and reaching for them. And then these banders are sending these birds off. And then which led me into another group of pictures of birds flying because then mm -hmm. when my father was dying and my, uh, again, we're all gathered around my dad as he's literally dying. My mom is again reaching for something over my dad and, she says, well, the birds. So my mom's mm -hmm. seeing these birds flying over my dad. And so I wanted to make pictures that sort of were about, were about that, were about my mom seeing <laughs> these birds. So then, so that work, though, was the first sort of my foray into digital, because never would have gotten those images with my 8x10. And I just, there are pictures of birds flying from my bird feeder, which you don't see in the images, but I have a bird feeder mm -hmm. below my studio window, and they fly from that bird feeder to the woods beyond. And then I'm just with my first digital camera I bought, I'm just trying to make pictures of those birds as they're flying. And I'm only doing it against snow when the ground is snow covered. So the background is snow and then the bird mm -hmm. is silhouetted against this. And that became this body of work called Behold. I guess I went through this long description of it just because it's how personal my work yeah. can be. 
And no, no, I think that that's important. Yeah, I, I do too, or at least the way I work. Well, what motivates, I mean, I think what motivates a body of work, what's underlying there and some of the overt and not so overt, some of the, the conscious and unconscious way that they are coming together to help guide a new body of work for an artist is really fascinating uh, to me yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, just that whole creativity, like where does something come from? Like, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, where do ideas come from? Yeah. It's such a mystery to me as well. So we've, we've referenced the meadow and the heavens. So for folks who don't know, Barbara is well known for many things and many bodies of work that we've been discussing, but Radius Books has published these two books so far, and a third's about to come out. Uh, one is The Meadow, the other is The Heavens. The one that's about to come out is The Sea. Is it The Sea or The Seas? The, the Sea, singular, yeah. So it's a, a trilogy. The Meadow's long since sold out. Good luck. I have a client who just Ugh, bought I it for, uh -huh. I think, $480 somewhere. But so um, I, I love that my Shout out to Michelle for loving your work enough to um, have gone online and found that book. It's an incredible, it's an incredible book, and The Heavens is an incredible book. Mm -hmm. um, still Thank available. So I, I'm always buying more copies because I'm so paranoid that it's it's going to be gone. But <laughs> so the sea's about to come out, which is really exciting. But how does the, a process like this, these are big books, by the way, I should say to people, they are really big. <laughs> Tomes. Um, yeah, they're amazing objects. They're beautifully designed, not over designed, but really beautifully designed. They're so impressive. The The quality is just amazing. And it's something you really, I mean, I've, I've given many copies out as, as, as presents to friends and clients, and they just treasure them. I mean, there's, the work is so beautiful. There's something about the way the images work with the design and the size of the book that you really want to snuggle up with your beverage of choice and just get into these books. Um, how did this process come about with Radius with, with doing, doing this amazing trilogy? I don't think there was ever this epiphany moment on it, but so Radius had done a book before those three called Natural Histories, mm -hmm. which had probably been a, a long, you know, it's not like these things just happen overnight, right? That had been a long time coming, but finally the moment felt right. And so Radius and I did this book called Natural Histories, and I really enjoyed that process working with David Chickey. So I knew I wanted to do another book with them. And so the next one up, <laughs> I'd been doing this meta work for 20 years and it just felt time and so mm -hmm. we did the book and it never was in view of that there was going to be a trilogy it just was going to be another book and that maybe have been my last one I didn't know right you just so yep. so and then I and then at some point I don't know why maybe there was this epiphany where I just said oh my gosh the next book's got to be the heavens and I just sort of thought wasn't that doesn't that kind of make sense with the heavens I mean the meadow of the heavens so maybe these could be matched. Maybe we need to make this one, um, when Radius publishes this one, maybe it needs to have the same shape and format as The Meadow, and it could be a yep. set. So it's still, it's still the idea of being another one still never even crossed my mind. I thought that would be too much to even imagine. I've also been photographing the seas since I moved to the Boston area in the 
wow, early 80s. So there was a lot of those pictures too. And I just said, you know, it has to be the sea. So yep. it kind of it kind of evolved into that and just felt right to me to have those exist together. Yes, I'm sorry that the meadow is so inaccessible now. On one hand, of course, that's what we want, books to be out there. And I'm glad that people were buying them and out there, but it's sad to me also that they are so inaccessible. People love that book. I mean, it's an amazing book. It's really very special. I don't want to talk about it too much because so many people, of course, don't have it. Yeah, and, I know. Um, book envy, yeah. but it's really, it, it really is an incredible. You had a, a friend do some incredible writing. There's this, this, this whole text section that's actually like beautiful nonfiction element about the um, history of the meadow that's I, I make it sound dry it's not dry it's really captivating yeah no I, I, I do want I was going to get to the, a little bit about the book I know people as you said maybe we shouldn't tease people too much with it but yes I should mention Margot Kelly amazing um, a good friend of mine and amazing writer and she writes mm-hmm. things that I think about with the meadow and try to do in pictures but she did the writing, and then together, she and I, in a collaborative spirit, invited scientists to come tell us about the meadow through their perspective. So mm-hmm. we, so, and it turns out a preeminent firefly scientist lives in, um, she's at Tufts University, and she lives in Concord, which is a town right next to the meadow. So she joined us and told us about the fireflies on the meadow. It turns out there's four species of fireflies, and one is a cannibal species, actually, which I had no idea. So it was a <laughs> Fabulous the things we learned um, spending time with these. We, we, we had a food forager walk with us, tell us about the wild food from the meadow. We had an ant expert tell us about the ants. So we just had we just dug in deep as we could to think about yep. other layers besides yep. what uh, what if you know photography can do well describing what's in front of it, and Margot can write beautifully things, but we needed to know more uh, underneath. Yeah. So that's what that's what the whole idea of the meadow was. Well, you didn't need to, but you decided to. And it's a, it's a, it was such a great decision because it winds up just being this thing that keeps on giving on many different levels. And again, we're making, well, I don't know whether we're making it sound dry or not, but it's not. It's so whimsical and fun and filled yeah. with incredible facts. And, and all throughout, you have your amazing beautiful eight ten photographs there yeah, so and there's it's magic there these fireflies are like matte there's yeah. a whole section of the firefly images yes i hope we didn't make that sound dry but it all feeds into my interest in natural histories and mm-hmm. all of the other creatures going on around there i just thought yeah so so let me ask you some widen out a bit here who do you make work for i mean are you thinking about an audience when you're shooting or are you making work really for yourself Maybe if I thought about this a lot, I'd have a different answer. But I, I really, I just make pictures for myself. I, I have to really love what I'm photographing. And it's something that I feel is in me at that time. And I just make these pictures. I, I, generally, they start at something I find myself looking at. And if I'm mm-hmm. looking at something for a long time, then it starts, I soon make a picture about it. So I don't know, right now I'm just photographing this, the edge of my, where the sort of, mode area stops and forest begins. And I'm just looking at that edge. But it's something that's got hold of me right now. And I make those pictures. 
who am I making? You know, no one's interested in those pictures. So it's really, it's just for me. And yeah, my love of looking at the world through that rectangle of the 8x10 ground glass. So I'd have to say that's really uh, for me. Do you feel like the career you've had has been satisfying? Do you think of it that way or you just think of it in terms of your life, whether it's been a satisfying life? Yeah, 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 exactly. I think of it as satisfying life because it just, I feel how lucky, how lucky, first of all, how lucky I was that I could spend my life in academia. I believe in that product, right? I believe in education and that I could spend my life doing that, but also that I could spend my life making photographs. So I feel very fortunate in that. And I think of it really as that life. I've never sought out, oh dear, I mean, of course I'm happy when an exhibition comes around and I don't isolate myself, but I don't go seeking that kind of career either. Mm-hmm. I don't want that to sound wrong either, Sasha, because when no, it, it happens, doesn't. It doesn't. I love it. I mean, so. yes. No, no, I know. And but I don't isolate just... myself. I put myself no. out there in the world. And But really what I love photographically has been books. Maybe I learned it somewhere yep. along the way when, you know, my work just wasn't gallery work, but it was but it was books, and I love books, and it comes goes back to my interest in being spending my time in libraries and, and wanting to be a letterpress printer. And so books has been a way I do choose to get my work out there. So I don't mean to hide away. I'm not saying that at all. I think the work, I want the work to be seen. I want people to behold the beauty or something. You know, I think that's a, a role that artists can have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Photography is important in many ways, right? There's so many ways photography can share the world. But for me, it's been beauty, I think. I love just being able to... Oh, Sasha, this makes me sound really selfish. No, <laughs> so. what are you talking about? Not at <laughs> all. Just about beauty when people are, you know, being killed in Ukraine. And I don't know, it just makes me so sad. But so that's what I mean by selfish. I don't know. Well, I think everyone <sighs> acknowledges that in some ways now more than ever, what art can provide in terms of beauty, but also connection and, you know, is so important. I mean, you know, whether it's looking at a picture from the heavens or the meadow, or whether it's someone picking up one star in a dark voyage and deeply connecting to the melancholy that runs Mm -hmm. throughout that book, you know, those connections are so incredibly important, right? I mean, that's what you artists are giving us. You're giving us those connections and those, you know, sharing of yourself so that the rest of us get a chance to not feel as lonely, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think. So what's, so we have the sea coming out and you're working on this new project. Any, any, any other breaking news? Oh my gosh! Um, no, <laughs> wait, wait. We don't want to say. Enough. We don't want to say that on that thing. Um, wait. So we well, <laughs> I'm always working. What am I working on right now? Well, I guess this grew out of the pictures at the edge that I was referring to earlier. But yeah, the, during the winter when it's so dark, but I'm I'm an early riser and it's still dark out. So I go poking around this edge when I'm out because I do this. I do this weather post every morning. So I'm out there and it's dark. And so I started loving the way there's just rendered blue so beautifully. And I was looking at just the way the branches and the trees are silhouetted. And I'm not describing it very well, Sasha, because it's so new to me, but it's somehow going to be about this, this blue edge or something. 
So other than that, I don't have any. I don't have any grand new thing. Well, everything that you do is grand. Well, well if anything, if anything in the future, it's, um, it'll be something called the weather. <laughs> so, but that's going to be have to be several years down the road. But that's a whole other aspect of the natural world that I think a lot about, especially lately doing this weather post. It's just the the weather. We all deal with it, right? And we all have to deal with this. We all are, we're all at its mercy. And there's a lot of amazing visuals that come out of thinking about the weather. So something's percolating in there about that. So Okay, I love it. Well, yeah, something. <laughs> Somewhere, I haven't figured it out yet. But it's got to be something like that. My projects tend to be these 20-year-long things, so we'll see. I know, but I love that. I yeah. think it's so special. No, I, I th- and I think it's a really important lesson that, you know, I always say this um, on the podcast when I'm talking to guests who, who are working on long-term projects that, you know, it's really incredible what comes out of these these long-term projects when you have the patience to just really let something unfold and even, you know, to come back to something years later and say, what do I have here, you know, with this sort of, yeah. with some distance and mm-hmm. and what that can do, like with One Star in a Dark Voyage. Mm-hmm. I um, do know, uh, I do know another thing I think about, and it might be age-related for me, but I just, I'm so interested in collaborative workings. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I do have this collaborative, it's okay if I mention names. <laughs> sure. I, I'm doing a collaborative, we have no idea where it's going, but I have a, my dear friend, in England, Jem Southam, and he mm-hmm. is, you know, he also is 8 by 10 landscape photographer. So yeah. we're buddies, and we're sort of of the same vintage. So um, we're kind of buddies, and I've always been wanting to do some transatlantic work, the two of us. So we've come up with this loose idea of something to do with apple trees. So we have yet to see what that's going to be, but I like the idea okay, of collaboration. Wow. breaking yeah, news. I know, some idea of collaboration, and that also with that, I do a lot of work now with Emily Sheffer, who started Dust Collective and mm-hmm. um, making books. So she and I do a lot of that in the studio. These are small, really limited yeah, editions, yeah, yep. hand- handmade kind of things. So yep. there's always shout out to Emily and yep. shout out to Emily, but and that is definitely also something that's sort of ongoing in my studio is that kind of thinking about collaboration and yeah yeah because I I think it's I think it's nice not so much just me as as the artist or something but how can I work with groups of people or well you're a very warm person and a very decent and kind person who wouldn't want to work with you for God's well, sake. Sasha, thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> I know I, for one, consider myself very lucky that I, I get to work with you. Oh, um, thank you Sasha. So on that, on that note, <laughs> Barbara, I'm going to, I'm going to let you off the hook. Thank <gasps> you so much for hanging out with me today and for sharing your, your story and your journey and, um, and for entrusting me as uh, one of the people you work with and collaborate with. It's a real honor. And okay, that's it. Enough of all this flattery. <laughs> yep. <laughs> thank, Sasha, I just want to say thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Oh, it's uh, my pleasure. Um, so I will talk to you soon and be well. Okay. Thank you, Sasha. Okay. Bye, Barbara. Bye. Photo Work with Sasha Wolf is produced by me, Michael Chauvin-Dalton of Real Photo Show. 
The associate producer is Taylor Selsback, and the executive producer is Sasha Wolf. Our theme music is by J. Walter Hawks. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and rate us with all the stars available on your listening platform. <laughs>